0: Episode number 14 of the Media Narrative Podcast, a show featuring media makers, their stories, and their process.
1: I look at new equipment as a pencil and paper because it's not much more than that. When you get beyond that, it's shaped differently.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Media Narrative Podcast. I'm Rob Hoschild. And I believe that when we talk with people leading the public conversation, we better understand the ways that ideas can change the world. You and I are particularly fortunate today because we get to sit down with Nona Hendricks, a musician whose interests range to science, technology, education, and art, with a particular interest in how they all interact. Nona Hendrix was a core member and a key songwriter of one of the great music groups of the 70s. I know you've heard of it, La Belle, but that's just one part of her story. In a moment, I'll ask her why she is so interested in the ways that music and science overlap. I'll also ask about how young artists may be at a disadvantage by relying too much on automation and technology. Nona teaches at Berkeley College of Music, so I think she has a lot to say on this one. And about Nona's approach to teasing out these and other questions on her new radio show. Nona Hendrix, along with Patti LaBelle and Sarah Dash as the group LaBelle, captivated listeners and dancers with hit songs like Lady Marmalade in the 1970s. You know you remember that one. That was the one with the French, Vous, vous avec moi, ce soir. Yes, that was Nona and Patty and Sarah. Well, in the past few decades, Hendrix has continued to innovate in the music world and beyond in music as a solo artist, composing, performing, and touring the world. But she's also an activist, educator, radio host, and polymath who has collaborated with creators in other disciplines such as dance, visual art, multimedia, theater, and technology. Nona Hendricks, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really an honor to meet you and have some time with you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely. I've been a big fan of your music for decades. And I grew up in the Philadelphia era, even though LaBelle wasn't really a Philly band. Patty was from Philly. Mm -hmm. You and Sarah were from Jersey. And I listened to a lot of soul music growing up. So Lady Marmalade and all those other tunes were just an important part of my growing up. So thank you for that. I wanted to say that out front. You're welcome. And anyone who who isn't as familiar, your recent career in recordings have really been amazing too. So uh, we're we're going to have a little bit of that, I hope, in this program and I'm encouraging everyone to listen to that music. Um, but one of the fascinating things that I've learned about your work over the last few years is how you've been so interested in the intersection between music and art and technology and science and this new serious XM radio show is even called The Nexus for the yes. nexus of those things. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could just talk about why you're so passionate and interested in the intersection between music and art and science and technology.
1: I was a a science fiction nerd as a child. I loved science fiction. So that was just, that was always there. Uh, I evolved into a music artist and really stayed in music because I became a songwriter and Musician and producer so I became passionate about that and Tech the technology side of it in terms of getting involved in electronics early on being able to use sequencers the Lin drum machine Linn sequencers uh, having an Apple II, uh being one of you know getting uh, one of the first uh, Mac plus uh, computers and being able to use those as another kind of a, a modern pencil to create, whether it's mm. to paint or to create music. So it, it has kind of evolved over time, starting with my interest in, in science fiction and space and traveling into space and uh, space machines and, mm-hmm. and, and other worlds. Uh, and my interest in, in a strange way in, you know, in science and school. I loved science in school. A lot of people I think students wouldn't have, but i th- that was something that excited me. And I loved biology, and but I also loved uh, ancient history, which somehow connected to a futuristic view of the world at the same time. It was very strange, but it did. Mm. Uh, so all of those things from my uh, childhood into becoming uh, an artist, they were natural interests that I had in terms of reading about, um, you know, Alan Watts, uh, his uh, writing in terms of how the mind is affected by mind-altering drugs or altered states of being, so that all sort of came together for me with astrology and all those kinds of interests, uh, astronomy. And so they somehow reconcile in music for me Mm. in that I can lyrically... Uh, share my ideas and uh, that are about the world that I live in but also the world that I see in my mind mm. and that I can use technology to generate sounds or create musical landscapes to lay these, this text and information on and that I can also use art in terms of visuals whether it's painting or photographs manipulated, or uh, you know any kind of material that I can then also weave into performance uh, mm-hmm. or for some of the artwork that I create.
0: Wow, there's so much in there that I'd like to <laughs> so, dig into. And Alan Watts, just to clarify that he's also uh, the Buddhist uh, yes, scholar was, and monk, yes. I believe. Yes. And yes. so that was all of his sort of writings and teachings connected yes. with all of this for you too.
1: And I, you know, there was a particular book called The Cosmic Stone, which was not an Alan Watts, but, uh, that was a book that had a very strange, uh, or a big effect influence on me. And then, um, you know, I started reading about the micro world and, uh micro mechanics and, and things like that. The, they were the kind of books I was interested in reading, yeah. um, and uh, so, the, you know, and the people who were in those areas in terms of work uh, that had to do with mind, body, spirit, art, technology, and the relationship between the human and the machine. So
0: when you look at how that started for you, you were a young person really interested in science fiction, and then you're interested in science in school. So was I, like chemistry. I weirdly really liked chemistry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but... Uh, how did that evolve over time? You mentioned a whole list of different technologies that yes. you use, like the Lynn products and things. So did, was it always a part of what you were doing when you started getting into music? Did it sort of get deeper no. and deeper?
1: No, I, I started, uh, you know, how, how the electronics were introduced into uh, the musical side. So the music came, uh, in a sense, first, not that i wanted to be in music as a child i was not interested in it Uh, i became a part of a girl group Mm -hmm. which is primarily about vocals and recording what other people wrote for you and touring and performing and being a part of an amazing world uh... but then coming in contact with people who managed uh... groups like the who who signed Jimi hendrix who uh, they were English producers in a label called Track Records. Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp, mm-hmm. and then Vicky Wickham, who ran the label with Nancy Lewis for them. They signed the group, the Blue Patty Labelle and the Bluebells, mm-hmm. and felt and encouraged us to change. And in that transition, I discovered that I could write mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. And in that discovery, I then discovered the ability to create these multi-layered of of melody. And then I had to figure out how I was going to express it other than with my voice. That's when I discovered the actual uh, technique of uh, at the piano or learning early guitar and pretty much being a self-taught musician, how to uh, create the music I was hearing inside my head to go to the lyrics and melodies I was developing. In that process, you work with musicians. In that mm-hmm. process, musicians are not always available. In that process, I said, I need to do something so I can get this my ideas across. And that's when I discovered my first electronic uh, instrument, which was a keyboard that had several buttons on it that you could push for rhythms and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning. And I was like, oh, so I can do What else is there that I can add to this? <laughs> you know, And... That became a process of finding additional electronic uh, equipment to work with, whether they're guitar pedals or whether they, you know, my my first four-track tape machine, my first tape machine doing bouncing back and forth between tape machines to try and do overdubs, mm-hmm. um, not tape machines, cassette machines to do right. overdubs. Then, you know, then a four-track cassette machine came out and that was like, oh, my God, Nirvana. <laughs> So I had one of those, and then I learned how you know to do multiple tracking uh on my own and from there, I bought my net my next uh machine was a an eight track Revox mm-hmm. uh machine and I had eight tracks then i then you know my separate room became a studio because then I bought a profit five and uh you know all these uh you know, keyboards and drum machines and all the Yamaha RX-5s, the 808, the, you know, all those right. machines. And I just became this person who consumed manuals. And that's how it developed because I was, it was more about the passion of, uh, of getting outside of me the music I was hearing and wanted to convey either to a musician or to an audience or just to get out and say, this is what I'm hearing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I love that phrase you used earlier, modern pencils, I think it mm-hmm. was. And yes. and can you say more about that? Is that really about sort of what you were just starting to describe, about using each of these tools as a way of just communicating things mm-hmm. in in as simple and direct a way as possible?
1: Yeah, I, I, I use the phrase modern pencil because uh, for a while there I became... Uh, trapped in this world of technology of uh, just constantly reading manuals you mm-hmm. know and in the beginning a lot of the things the manuals were not very good so they did you, you know sometimes you would go like well no that doesn't really work mm-hmm. uh, how does it work and then I'd have to and, and at some point I had to go okay you know what I think I've gathered enough of this information in my brain. Now I just need to make stuff, make things happen. Mm. And so that's when it becomes, uh, to me, a pencil because I'm not trying to sort of learn or dissect this uh, instrument. I am now really using it to express myself. So I look at new equipment as a pencil and paper because it's not much more than that when you get beyond that it's shaped differently.
0: Yeah, I know. I think I know what you mean. And especially because like, like you, I'm at Berkeley. I teach at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're, you work with students here as well. And I'm wondering how your knowledge of both those analog technology instruments and those mm-hmm. early digital instruments mm-hmm. help you to work with students who didn't have those experiences are there Thing are there do you do you sense that there's gaps for them because they're plunged right into 2018 technology and how how do you deal with that
1: yes i i do think that there are gaps in uh, you know newer co- coming into a musical creativity and uh, you know being an artist today with uh access to you know plug and play, push one button, you know, because I, what happens is you don't get to really make mistakes and learn or come up with your own workaround, mm-hmm. which leads you to either creating a sound or a process that is your own. Mm-hmm. And it may look to, to someone else and they go, why are you doing that? You can just do... and." But why I do it that way is that it sounds like this as opposed to out of the box or, you know. So I think that's where I think having so much access today leaves that if if that breaks down, what do you do? Mm -hmm. You'll get something that is in a way nobody else can create. But you, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it becomes your an individual signature sound. If you think about um, Bob Clearmountain, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people may not know who he is, but he was one of the engineers of the '80s drums, uh, you know, the big drum sound, mm-hmm. right? He didn't have the plugins that people are using his plugins today, right? right? <laughs> but You know, he created those sounds by layer and layer and layer of uh, analog uh, outboard gear. Mm -hmm. And so you cannot, that's why the music of that time sounds like it sounds, because it was not something that was um, really without Bob uh, Clear Mountain, you could not recreate it Mm -hmm. because it was his signature. He knew how to do that.
0: And did it in a very particular way that one did or used in those times that yeah. doesn't really
1: or, you work know, the you same d- way. Well, or, you know, you discover that, you know, you're trying to figure something out in the studio and you go, oh, well, maybe if we turn the tape over and do so-and-so with it and run it here through this reverb, through this echo, through this, you know, and you try it and it goes like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, the you know, like the Phil Spector sound. Mm-hmm. Where do you find that naturally in anywhere except for Phil Spector's productions? Right,
0: right. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating subject, and especially coming from somebody like you who started recording in the early 60s. Yes. Right? So this is almost 60 you know, 50 plus years yes. in the recording industry and you look—you don't look like somebody who's been doing this for 50 <laughs> plus years. Um, yep,
1: well, I have. <laughs> it's all those computer chips I
0: eat. Yeah. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> um, so, it, and I, I wanted to go a little further in, into this uh, with your new radio show on Sirius XM in mind. And yes. I love what you say in the intro to each one of those shows where you talk about technology as being this thing that people see as cold and music- being seen as something that is warm. So how do you sort of, how have you been teasing out That idea in these interviews you had you've Mm. had like Hank Shockley on there, that great hip hop producer, and Cindy Lauper and Jeffrey Osborne. So, and Lori Anderson, right? Lori Anderson, who's a really uh, I mean, she seems like a a a sister of yours in the way you're both interested in these things. (laughs) Yes. So, how are what have your what's been your discovery process in there, and how have you been kind of teasing out this issue there?
1: I think you know with the nexus, it's really about showing the human element that without it, none of this is possible. Right. In terms of, you know, the artists like Cindy, you know, allowing people to not only talk about their process and uh, what they do, but the history behind who they are, Mm -hmm. because that shapes a lot of what they create. And looking at specifically, you know, uh, wanting to, knowing a lot of these artists and how they cross genre from um, you know Hank's involvement in technology but he's also an artist and public enemy and then his relationship to art mm-hmm. itself. You know the same thing with Laurie. I mean Laurie is you know more of a performance artist but really you know some of the things that she was a sculptor. She was you know she's a violinist. She's all all of the people ha, are multi, have multiple streams of uh, interest and talent, and they converge mm-hmm. in what they do. Cyndi Lauper, most people would have thought, okay, girls just want to have fun, blah, 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 all that. But then mm-hmm. you see Kinky Boots, where this is a theatrical uh, expression of Cyndi Lauper, mm-hmm. um, which incorporates kind of everything in terms of uh, set design, all of those elements. Same thing with, um, who did I miss?
0: Uh, well, there's Jeffrey Osborne was one. Well,
1: yeah, well, even talking with Jeffrey, I mean, Jeffrey was a drummer, mm-hmm. you know? And so he's much more technical than most people would think. A lot of people think, oh, he's a smooth R&B singer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's actually, you know, I was interested in how he, he, Barry White, um And there's Maurice White. There's uh, these people who were drummers. James Brown really Mm -hmm. was a drummer. You know how that drove the rhythm of what they do. How you make how you make music in the studio that people only see you as the artist of, but you're really creating that Mm -hmm. because of your understanding of the studio and technology.
0: Yeah, and it it makes it makes complete sense that you would be the person leading these conversations because you're describing yourself in a way as well as yeah, somebody so, yeah. you know who has it who has these uh, aptitudes across yes. the the board and also the genre. Uh, diversity, you know, mm-hmm. rock and funk and soul and many other forms in all these years of recording. You've, 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 there's so many different sounds that you've explored and played with. So I'm also wondering about your mind, too. I'm wondering,
1: <laughs> I'm wondering about my mind as well.
0: <laughs> you know, well, there, there's a malleability, a flexibility um, to a mind like that. I would, an open mindedness, right? I mean, mm. it, it, yes. do, how have you sort of, honed that capacity? How have you remained the kind of person who's open and can incorporate all these ideas, both in terms of using technology and combining visual art and musical art, as well as having this interest in many different kinds of sounds, say, as just one example of what you play with?
1: Uh, You know, staying open, I think, is uh, a part of being an artist. Whether in whatever area, whether it's a craft artist or a well-trained fine artist or a virtuostic artist, mm. is that you know because you you have to listen to you have to listen to the air, you have to listen to life, you have to listen to hear what it is, whether you however you're going to express it you or see to be able to uh, transform it and translate it. And also, to, for me, it's really a curiosity, you know, uh, about life and about how does that work and what's inside that book. Um, you know, I watch fantastic planet or whatever it's called, you know, and it's just, those things are fascinating to me, you know, how the earth was formed, what it's, you know, evolution. You know, I watched this amazing show on Stephen Hawking and mm-hmm. his explanation of uh, how, uh, what evolution is. Makes perfect sense to me, <laughs> what he came up with, right? you know, selective uh, evolution and, you know, those things are, I just find those fascinating, and it'll probably find its way into my music at some point because it, it sort of all gets, I take in this information, it's taking in this information and trying not to allow what I know to filter out what's possible
0: when it comes time to for you to take what's coming in and then manifest it out in either music or some other form of art is there a particular process for i mean let's talk about music making is Mm -hmm. there a particular way that say the planets the evolution of animals works its way into a piece of music for you i'm being probably too specific but like how does what does that look like for you
1: Sometimes it's just that I am walking down the street, and a melody and a thought, words arrive, and I, being tuned to to it, hmm. I then follow it hmm. to where... I can get to a piano or I can do something to be able to hold on to it so it doesn't go. Or there are specific things that I'm working on and I want to focus in a certain direction. And because it's something that's been on my mind mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, uh, I want to work on this project about water. At some point, I find a time to focus on it. Water, water. Mm-hmm. In terms of not so much uh, an ecological thing or an environmental thing, it's just that how important water is, and as sound, and what it does, and how it it's um, how it is a, a life source, and it can cause your death, mm-hmm. and all these things, and you know, but also using it as a sound, not really. Just as a uh, inspiration, but then taking water and recording different ways of using water,
0: Mm -hmm. like whether it's drinking water or the way a stream. Splashing
1: it, capturing water someplace. Maybe if I captured the rain today, right? You know, and the elements that go with it. So, at some point, that goes into sound design, which then brings in technology, Mm -hmm. because then I need to shape it. To how I want because water you can the shape of water you can (laughs) shape it however you want to so I can begin to shape water and come up with what is my kick drum of water right right so those are things that how that's my process and that's just one that I'm interested in if someone asks me to write something for a particular um, you know for a film or for television or for theater then I have to, uh, that's harder for me because I have to be specific to what somebody else wants. Mm -hmm. But I can, I can do that. It's just is much more, you know, I'm not just having the free um, ability to just be inspired by my desires and my needs. Mm
0: -hmm. The fact that you mentioned water, I think is really interesting and I look forward to seeing how that project turns out. It's it's hard to... um, as a topic, it seems more abstract than, mm-hmm. than some of the, the songs you've done in recent years. For example, since we were talking about sort of the content, mm-hmm. uh, the message, a lot of your music for many years, but especially in the last 10 years or so has really been focused on social issues and you're sort of commenting on things in politics and news. I know before Obama was elected and, and more recently, uh, you've been kind of weighing in on, on some of the topics through your music. How, has that part of this gone for you? And what do you see your role as, a, as an artist in the world today in terms of being, um, making comments about the direction the world is going?
1: I think I've been doing that, making comments and uh, writing about social and political interests that I have and that how society affects me and how politics affect me and the, the world and others for since I started writing mm-hmm. for LaBelle. And so I guess that's from 1970 until now. Mm-hmm. I wrote poetry before I wrote songs, and the poetry was in, really informed by a lot of the classic poets. I mean, Shakespeare is one of my favorite writers of all time, mm-hmm. and he, Shakespeare was commenting on society. Commenting on politics, commenting on love, commenting on, you know, but really when you look at it, it there is so much in terms of life and the, uh, you know, the effects of society Mm -hmm. and kings and queens, i.e., politics of the time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a natural, uh, place for me. It's it's a little bit, it's hard for me to write frivolously, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I find it. It just doesn't really enter my brain and, unless I have to write something like that for something. But it's not my natural place to go. I naturally go towards somewhat introspective metaphoric expressions of what is going on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes very much more explicit, but that's just my, my palette. And
0: do students feel like it's part of their palette? How much, when you're working with students, do you talk about sort of the messages being conveyed in music or other forms of art?
1: I, When I work with students, it's, it, it's, I work with them in uh, those messages in terms of society and political statements in relationship to them and their lives mm-hmm. and what's going on in their lives, whether they're going through... A sexual questioning, whether it's uh, about how their career, their work, uh, music as an uh, as an art that is self fulfilling as opposed to commercial gain, mm-hmm. where they come from culturally, and how they're having to adapt in uh, in another culture and in this time. Mm-hmm. So, I. I don't have uh, a fear of those conversations with uh, students because a lot of the technical stuff they're going to get, but some of the other stuff that is a human being, individual need of, of for nurturing for, from someone who's been there. You know, when you're young... You can either be like, you know, I'm the best thing since sliced bread so yeah. you can't tell me anything right. and I'm fabulous and my friends think I'm fabulous and, you know. Or you can be really timid and afraid like, uh, and what I usually find is that the the ones who are timid and afraid and kind of hiding, they're the ones who have this little spark of genius in them. Hmm. But there is a, you know, they in a sense can't be heard through those who are going like, hey, look at me, I'm fabulous, I'm great, you know. So, and either one of those is fine for me to uh, to see and, uh, and try to share what knowledge I have and be supportive and mentor. So that's what I... That's what I see in terms of uh, my relationship with students and young people who are peeking their head over the, the sidewalk, going, mm. you know, <laughs> what, what is this? Where am I? What am I going to do with it? I've got all, you know.
0: Are you, so are you hopeful about wh- what sort of work they'll be doing in the years ahead?
1: Oh yeah, I'm. I'm excited, and I'm excited to, you know, part of that excitement is an organization called Sisters, S-M-A-T-R, which is for Science, Math, Art, Technology, and Robotics.org, which is an organization I founded with some amazing women. Uh, We had our first pilot uh, version of the Fab Lab we're going to mm-hmm. do an, our next one in uh, starting in September in New York. And it's for young girls of color between 14 and 18 mm-hmm. to encourage them to, through art, uh, explore technology. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that we'll be working with uh, alums of Berkeley mm-hmm. uh, in this project. My most excitement is about getting young women more involved in technology so that we are not out of balance in the world, uh, in that way. And, you know, what, just looking at something from hidden figures, right. Right. To looking at, which I just watched the other night about Hedy Lamarr Hmm. and basically Bluetooth, GP, GPS, uh, all that comes from, uh, technology that she was creating during the second world war.
0: Really? Hedy Lamarr?
1: Yeah, really, Hedy no Lamarr. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. I'm gonna have to. So that was a documentary. That was it's a documentary,
1: documentary on uh, Hedy Lamarr called no Bombshell, and it's called Bombshell because she and uh, another, I forget the guy's name, invented a frequency modulating system to guide bombs mm. to try and sink the Nazi. Uh, ships, warships, mm-hmm. and the when you you'll see it when the go, the government basically said because it was based on piano uh, players mm-hmm. and how you, it's the notes how it changes as it goes mm-hmm. and that you could do frequencies the same way but only tune into the ones that so they couldn't the code could not be broken by the opposing right. army.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, I'll include links for, for both Hidden Figures and, <laughs> and the Hedy Lamar <laughs> documentary yes. in the, on yes. the page for this. Um, yes. So I'm glad Do. you mentioned that. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think this issue is a really important one, and it ties in with where we started because, you know, talking about women and women of color getting mm-hmm. involved in technology, not only in terms of increasing opportunities for them, but going back to this issue that technology is sort of a, quote, cold um aspect say of human life and art making and music is a warm aspect Mm -hmm. and i think you know one of these things that philosophers and scientists and others have grappled with for years is how technology sometimes gets ahead of the humanity piece that it should be intrinsically linked to so it seems to me a really good idea um, that you have that organization and that you think this way in general Um, I guess where I'm where I want to where I want to end up with is going back to just this idea that you're, um, you know, you're a multi you have interest in multiple genres, you have an interest in multiple platforms, music, art, science, technology, and you've also done online education has been a part of what you've been doing and education in general, you wrote a children's book, there's a sci fi musical. So I Just wondering what your thought is for others, for young people, for anyone. How important is it in this world to have these sort of multiple interests in everything, art, philosophy, science, music, in order to survive and do well in the world ahead?
1: I think it's important to have multiple interests or be curious about multiple interests so that I think there are times when you get stuck if you're on one track, another track might be a relief lever. Hmm. You know, whether, you know, for me at one point it was playing tennis. I just played tennis. But I could see the mathematical relationship.
0: Right, angles and things like to that.
1: To tennis and mm-hmm. to music. Mm-hmm. And I found a lot of tennis players who played musical instruments. Interesting. I.e. John McEnroe. um right. Uh, Vita scarelitis, mm-hmm. you know, and several others. So they kind of naturally go together in a mm-hmm. strange kind of way. So I think it's important to have these uh, other interests so that you, if you do get stuck, you can you just turn your uh, attention or your gaze, and because you've let go of trying to get beyond that place. You get beyond that place. And the next time you look around, you're like, "Oh, you're three months down the road, or whatever down the road." And something that you were not intending to be the inspiration for what you're going to do next is the inspiration. It's something that you did a month and a half ago mm-hmm. that you were on. A, you know, another thing that you're interested in. I think people who are prodigies, I think they have a different kind of brain order. Mm-hmm. And they go immediately like this, and that's it. And they cannot stop. It's almost compulsive, really obsessive.
0: Fo- focused on one thing.
1: Yes, and they are brilliant at it. Mm-hmm. Then there are those who are capable of being uh, kind of brilliant in many ways. Uh, maybe it's three ways or four ways that they find to express themselves and they really they're capable of focusing on each one of them at the same time mm-hmm. then there are people like me who are grazers mm-hmm. i tend to graze in life it's right for me you know i don't need to in a sense know where my next sort of i mean, me put it this way my next meal is coming from
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know I just know that there's a lot of grass. <laughs> well, I <laughs> and love I don't, that. And I don't mean the other grass. Gotcha. But I just know that there's a lot of grass <laughs> <laughs> in life. And mm. so I, you know, that's why I think it's important for, for me. Yeah. How I function.
0: All hail the grazers. I like yes. that. I like that. I I, I I know a lot of people these days who have those kinds of wide interests because there's so much available now through the internet. You can learn how to do a lot of things. So um, so let's go out on this program with listening to something uh, that's an example of how you have been grazing over the years. Uh, a, a track from Mutantus Mudandis. Did I say that right?
1: Mutatis mutandis. Mutat, which means? Mut, uh, the... The need to change things, hmm. the things that we automatically assume. There, there is this absolute imperative to change what has been.
0: So let's listen to a little bit of one of the tunes from that record. I was thinking maybe Temple of Heaven. Temple of Heaven. So mm-hmm. what, is that, what is that song all about?
1: That came from, uh, the title actually came from uh, two friends who are artists and they're visual artists, Nikki and Ben, Langland and Bells. And they went to China, and they went to the Temple of Heaven. And they sent me back a photograph of the two of them sitting in traditional dress in this uh, chair in the Temple of Heaven.
0: It is a literally a temple.
1: Yes, in China. Wow. <laughs> right?
0: All right. So
1: I was like, wow, what is that? The Temple of Heaven. And so this lyrics started coming to me, you know, that um, really, we're in the temple of heaven. And are we, can we be satisfied? Can we, you know, we're constantly going, this is not enough. Um, and I thought, oh, interesting that somebody would build the temple of heaven. <laughs> and so I wrote the song.
0: Well, we're gonna to listen to a little yes. bit of that as we go out. Nona Hendricks, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to talk to you.
1: You're welcome, thank you. It's a great conversation with you. Baby sleeping on the floor. Mama's crying cause love, don't appear no more. God is creeping around the door, saying you still haven't found everything you're looking for. Somebody's saying Bobby love and peace.
2: To be the me and you, the possible awesome true in the edges of Say yeah, 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 yeah. If your heart's on fire say yeah, 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 yeah. If you still desire love in the temple of heaven
0: Learn more about her at nonahendricks.com this episode was edited and mixed by Isaac Kotecki. Matt Jensen composed and recorded your theme music. Please subscribe to the Media Narrative at themedianarrative.com. I'm Rob Hoschel. Thank you so much for listening.
1: West and East, it's set to drugs